You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Are you a diehard comic book collector? Or maybe a lapsed fan? Maybe even someone who has never picked up a comic book in their life. Hi, I'm Remso Martinez. And I'm Mark Clare. Every single Wednesday at the Second Print Comics Podcast, Remzo and I take a deep dive into the storylines, character arcs, moments, and events that made us the fans we are today. Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else podcasts are available. Check out more from the Second Print Comics Podcast at secondprintcomics.com. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. I completely forgot how I was going to intro the show. This is the struggle, Chris. This is the everyday struggle. Anyway, you Hard. finally you finally moved into a new place. Yeah, good, good for you. You've, you've, Thank you. You've, you and I have both achieved something. We're very much the same. We fulfilled the libertarian podcaster dream of moving out of our parents' places. Yeah, so. I know. My mom, you know, at 38, mom was <laughs> getting a little upset at me. And said, you've got to find your own place now. Uh, so, <laughs> no, I think I think everybody who listens, you know, long time We Are Libertarians listeners know that I've been living in a luxury apartment uh, it, with an open floor concept. And it's nice and it worked for one person. But I will be getting married in less than two months. And uh, she has a three-year-old. So an 800 foot square apartment for three people is just not going to do it so we rented just, a house you just have the eight-year-old sleep in the cabinet <laughs> well she has have you never seen aristocrats where they stick yeah. the kittens in the corner it could work seriously when i saw that i i tried to do that and i broke a dresser as a kid Oof. especially since i was a fat kid it was a that bad idea. No, no. Yes, it's it's been like everybody in my life must just think I'm so chaotic, and listeners too, because I'm totally off schedule because I had COVID, and then you know that knocks you out for three weeks, and then I'm moving, which knocks you out for three weeks. So it's just like my life is in turmoil. I'm about almost back to routines and normal, but yeah, it's been it's been hell. When you when you haven't moved in nine years, and you know, you're slowly moving your things over and she's got her house and I've got storage units and stuff at parents' house and she's got stuff. It like, it's been a nightmare. Um, but I'm, we're really excited where we're at. We're downtown. We're in a very yuppie part of town, uh, parks within walking distance, 258 trendy restaurants. Everyone's like a CFO or, you know, a, a, a Eli Lilly's. Yeah. And then there's me. They're like, what do you do? I'm like, well, I shit talk on the internet. And, uh, <laughs> but here we it's, are. Yeah. It's not an easy job, but it's honest. Yeah. Yeah. This whole, the whole purpose of bringing you on was just proof of life because people were getting worried. I seriously, Rimzo, this other than a couple pat downs, which I'm almost contractually obligated to do, I haven't done a podcast in three weeks, maybe. It, it, fe- yeah. it feels weird. I was I was gone throughout most of uh, most of August through September. So some people were like, you know, you always sound like exhausted or you're in a different place or you're recording in your car. I have recorded more podcasts in my car than I think any other person who hosts a podcast ever because I, I made a promise to never miss a show. And I've had to air like episodes from other shows I've been on. But for the most yeah. part, it's like, you know, I've recorded stuff. While uh, while I'm in bed, I've recorded stuff in a car. <laughs> I've recorded in hotel rooms. I've recorded in my office. I've recorded in hotel conference rooms. Like it's it's one of those situations where it's just been like you get the shit for free, and at least I'm coming to you with stuff that I, for the most part, you know, do care about and do want to share with you. So so be grateful, motherfuckers. Yeah, I, I wish I were more. Uh, like you and Brian, where you guys are much more consistent. I wish I had that. I mean, I think I'm, I have a fallback position in that we've got a lot of co-hosts. So the last two weeks, Hody and Trisha and the others have kind of stepped in. And so that, that kind of, you know, make sure that at least somebody's talking to the listeners about what's going on. Well, um, what's, what's been, I, I, yeah, I mean, the only thing that's been, and this is kind of 
this is going to kind of dive into the main topic I kind of want to cover. The only reason why I'm able to do this is because I have so much extra time and leeway because a lot <laughs> right. of what, because a lot of what I'm doing ties into work. So like during the work day, I can actually go on like another person's podcast as long as I somehow tie it into like my day job and stuff like right. that. And I, I got brought on to be a, to be a rotating panelist for a political talk show out of Arlington public access in Virginia. So like for all those things, like a lot of things tie into each other. So the personal and the professional have kind of blurred and, you know, for some people they, they could see that as a challenge. It's actually been really, really good for me. So when I complain about this stuff, it's never like, Oh, I fucking have to do it. I do it because I love it. And it's one of the situations where it's like, I'm, I'm very lucky that, you know, under all these circumstances, I still have to do it. And it never feels like a chore, despite the fact that people think I'm sometimes phoning it in. It's because I'm literally fucking phoning it in, recording from <laughs> the phone in some situations. So on the run has become literal in most cases. Yeah, I think I, I am at a point in my life where I've got my day job. I've got We're Libertarians and all that comes with that. Um, my my different shows and you know, and then I've got my um, podcast consulting business and then I've got, you know, a family now. So just at some point, something breaks <laughs> and, and you go, well, I guess this is the thing that I can break. My listeners will understand that, you know, the, the We Are Libertarians audience historically has been like my best friend. And when you just talk to them and you just say, here's what's going on, they've always, you know, except for Samantha Wotis during my divorce, I was doing one episode a month. She's Oof. like, you got to really put them out. I'm like, listen, lady, I'm getting divorced. Um, How dare you was, talk to was, a man that way? She was like, I don't care. <laughs> I want my content. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm looking forward to like kind of getting set up and getting back to it because I've just been so sporadic this year. And, and frankly, I've kind of been checked out of politics altogether because it just it doesn't have the same. I don't have the same passion for it. Um it's, and, and part of that ties into the topic today. Like I've always been politically focused. I've been in politics for 20 years. I was driving downtown, you know, and saw the headquarters of the first place I volunteered for as a college Republican in 2002, you know, and I don't have the same belief that this can change uh, things in the way that I used to. I, I, and I think it's because politics has just fundamentally changed so much. It's weird to be under 40 and have something pass you by. Um, but we are old enough, us older millennials, to live in an economy that doesn't reflect how it was when we were kids or a political economy that isn't the same. Um, you know, it's... Uh, I mean, everything I do for a living didn't exist when I graduated high school. I still so, have to explain to to my parents what digital marketing really is because they <laughs> think it's they they really it's not even their fault. They think it's like posting things on Facebook, but it, it's it's a lot more than that. And the fact that part of my day job involves uh, running and producing and hosting a podcast, it's another one of those situations where they're like, "You get paid to do that because it didn't exist." Like when I when I started working in in this realm, um, I, I actually got my foot in the door through learning uh, direct mail hmm. for fundraising. That's and that was in 2015. Hmm. Direct mail for fundraising, and then from there, I switched over digital. So in 2015, a lot of these things, while they were people who could kind of do this, it was either in a marketing or communications role, and this was just part of it. Now this is an entire job. Yeah, and, and it's just so strange because even now, when people are like, "Where do you see the future of it in like four or five years?" I'm like, I can't even tell you what it's going to be like next year. That's how fast these things change. But right. the ability to kind of keep on top of it is what keeps you in demand and keeps you relevant. Yeah. And, and if you have done something one way for 20 years and then something changes, it's sort of like, do you really want to learn the new way? And that's sort of how I viewed it. I mean, the the January 6th stuff, and I know that probably a lot of your listeners want to just dismiss that and pretend that it was nothing and that it was no big deal, and you're wrong, but that's okay. Um, it, it, I think it was reflective of a new politics and a different type of politics that that I don't want to learn how to do <laughs> and I don't want to participate in. I mean, I think the 
the political media has changed to the political media landscape has changed to a place that's just so much angrier and nastier. And so you've kind of, I've had to figure out a different way to do this. And, you know, and it's led me to a point uh, of the question, the central question for today of God, you're such a better host than me. I know. At least let me ask the question. Um, <laughs> go ahead. Well, no, now it's going to suck. No, I think the, uh, the, the, the big question, Chris, and I, I, I really do want your insights on this because while I definitely know that you've touched on it partially, it's, I don't think it's ever been directly hit head on, especially post 2020 as we're all getting over our collective hangovers. It, it's this idea. And you see this a lot with like the, the, the internet libertarian talk that doesn't pertain to 99% of America, but I think it is a broader question for us to achieve a better sense of freedom in our daily lives is the course for people who know about these topics and care about these things that we care about. Is the future a dead-on coalition with having to continue this fight through the political realm or by finding a different way? And I think for the most part, for people that kind of know what I'm talking about, it comes down to this. Do we continue to work through party politics, primarily through the Libertarian Party, we'll use an example, or do we try and find a way to become, you know, basically our, our I'm not going to say sovereign citizen, that's, that's fucking crazy with how many people <laughs> have taken it, but this idea of somebody who has, you know, a, a degree of freedom because they control their wealth, they have the freedom to move, and they have rare and specialized skills so that they can be in demand in this global economy. So regardless as to what government actions necessarily hit you, you have the most options available to decide how you want to deal with that. And, you know, like five years ago, I totally would have been on one end of it. And I shifted. I was like, we'll go ahead and focus on the Republican Party. And then it was around the time where I was working at GameStop in 2018, having already been a best-selling author, too. I was like, where did I fucking go wrong? <laughs> and it's it's been this giant journey where now, you know, I'm debt-free. I'm financially independent. I'm I'm out of the military. I'm out of the, the guard. I have a job where I work hybrid, but I have a very rare and specialized set of skills where it still allows me to freelance with other clients outside my immediate realm. So I have constant streams of passive and active income. And when things have really, you know, gotten really scary over the past year with the pandemic and personal stuff, the one thing that has kept me afloat has been my ability to control the source of my money as well as my ability to get out of bad situations. I mean, if you had told me a year ago, I'd be in Wisconsin, I'd be like, you got to pass the <laughs> fucking reefer because that's, that's obviously not happening. But now I'm looking I, at I'm it. I'm lactose intolerant. I can't do this. <laughs> but it's, it's so, it, it's in one of these situations where it's like, I have, despite the fact that I think we objectively live in a less free world than even where we, even compared to where we were, let's say 20 years ago, I myself am living a freer and happier life as a result of just focusing on those things. And I don't say this to say completely opt out of politics. I'll be honest. I made a political donation to a friend of mine who's running for city council in another state. Why? Because I could. Yeah. But it's one of those situations where people think it has to be an all or nothing thing. And I'm seeing primarily like if I had to take a side, it would totally be the side of make yourself more independent, more free, because the people that I'm seeing uh, argue against that, they're like, oh, you're just you're just saying everyone should get rich and all this other stuff. You need to speak truth to power. And it's like, you know, there's no nobility in poverty. And there's no nobility in constantly wondering how you're going to be victimized next. And that's what really bothers me. And the thing, you know, if we're going to turn this into a therapy session, the past month, I have received many messages from listeners who I really don't think listen to the show, but I got roped in somehow. And they're saying, you know, you just sound so pessimistic and all this other stuff. I mean, it's been at least four or five people in the last two weeks. And it's this whole, oh, you know, what you're saying is unobtainable. I'm I'm in my 40s and I'm working three jobs and this other stuff. And it's like, you know, good for you doing the right thing, working, trying to keep food on the table for your family. But I've also run out of fucking sympathy. I, the, the, the victim mentality of libertarians now, they've adopted the Trump psychology and the Republican. I mean, a lot of libertarians are right leaning and the constant victimhood is just exhausting. 
you absolutely, I'm a dumbass. And I have managed to get myself to several streams of income that provide me and my family a great living now. Um, and I work all the time and I work really hard. And, and you know, I, I don't know what to tell people who just, you can't get financially free. Well, I, I'm, I'm a, a recovering overspender. Yes, you can. <laughs> if you're, <laughs> if you're like, you know, I, I would have totally gone and bought that weed eater brand new at Home Depot, but instead I went to a pawn shop and saved myself a hundred dollars. You know, I, I don't know. I, I just think I get so tired of having an opinion on the internet and then just someone, you think about something before you, you, you know, this Renzo, when you say something on the internet, genuine, generally you have taken some time to think about that. You've investigated it. You've put some brain power to it. Maybe you've taken a couple of weeks to formulate this and research it. And then there's always one guy who's like, nah, you know, and it's always like a guy with a punisher thing on Twitter. Oh, and the thin blue line going through the skull. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, what I've kind of been working through over the last year, as I look at starting this, this new business and starting, um, you know, starting podcasting and platforms, teaching people how to kind of build what, what I've built here with the We Are Libertarians Network has been a painful psychological transition for me because I'm good at promoting other people's stuff. But if it comes to promoting me, I'm terrible at it. Um, there's there's like a, a mental break when it comes to promoting myself. Um, and it's, it's not humility, it's insecurity. Uh, and, you know, I have a, a business coach that I work with. And she, you know, I was telling her a story about you know, working with my dad and working through some entrepreneurial stuff. And she, she goes, yeah, I used to be afraid of rich people too. <laughs> and, and I went, what? And the story that I had just told totally was me being scared of rich people, you know? And, and like what I've kind of found is that because of my own insecurity and lack of comfort uh, 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 with, with my, myself in a lot of ways, I'm afraid of being successful. I'm afraid of being rich. I'm afraid of rich people. I'm afraid of people who have power. Uh, and it's because I have felt powerless so much of my life. And the more I gain in terms of my own self-esteem, my own savings, my own uh, control of my own career, instead of outsourcing it to a boss or a company, the less afraid I am of all that stuff. And the less typical libertarian personality I become, right? And that's kind of part of the disconnect that I have with so many people who've listened to me since for, for 10 years is that I just kind of find a lot of insecurity and weakness in the movement that I, I inhibited myself, right? Like the libertarian movement is largely a Peter Pan movement of boys who don't want to grow up, who are afraid of success, who are afraid of doing well by themselves, and it's kind of pathetic. And they'll enable themselves, uh, you know, if they get into a group, a caucus, if you will, <laughs> that can kind of support that typical Peter Pan behavior because of the edginess, then it, it keeps them comfortable. It, it inhibits their growth. Whereas if you say to them, you know, so we can change this, we can do this, we can make the world a, a better place through politics it becomes sort of an enabling thing for them to stay in their mother's basement like I've been in. Um, but when you go out and build an institution, you know, when you build a media company, when you build, uh, you know, We Are Libertarians now has sp uh, sponsorships and advertising. I never wanted to do advertising because the vulnerability of trying to sell ads on our network was too scary to me. And I had all. I'd like to thank Geico for bringing you this episode. <laughs> right, you know, like uh, you mean rightly, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean the the reality is I didn't want to do it, and I had all kinds of excuses because I didn't want to push myself, um, you know. And as we have started to look at we libertarians as more of a, a, a trying to build an institution or trying to build something you know, outside of just a bunch of goofballs screwing around with their friends and into something that could long-term be uh, something more successful, it makes you uncomfortable. You know, being a grown-up is uncomfortable. Uh, I was never that uncomfortable in politics and in the Libertarian Party because I didn't have to grow up. 
Um, and I don't know if that any of that makes sense to you, Rimzo, but I I, I, I was talking with uh so I did a I did a special Saturday segment for Brian's show, the Brian Nichols show last week. And it was I, I did it pretty last minute because I wanted it to be something meaningful. And what I did on that, and I'll link to it in the show notes, is I basically discussed kind of like what we're talking about today, like where the shift for me came. And the shift for me came when I was sleeping in the back of my Kia Soul after having knocked doors all day for one of my favorite candidates. And I realized that I wasn't making any money from this and that I had just been promised a lot of stuff. And when I was asking myself, in in those like 7-Eleven parking lots at 1 a.m., what success looks like, I began to think that the things I'm asking for that I think are possible are actually monumentally cosmically impossible. I'm thinking <laughs> I'm going to get this person elected and they're going to end the Fed and bring the troops home. But how am I going to pay for gas to get home from this right. when this is over? Because election day will come and go. And for them, win or lose, their lives are probably better as a result of it because they either win and go on and do other stuff or they lose and they get a book deal or a radio segment or whatever, but I'm still left with the rest of my life. And, you know, I, I've, I've lost more races than I participated in uh, in one, but like the, the, even the wins the, the, as years go by, they, they begin to diminish in their returns. But I can't tell you how amazing I felt when I saved my first $10,000 in cash. Yes, and because you can control it, Rimzo. The reality is that you are not on an FBI watch list. You actually, not, that's not, actually, actually, you may be, but those well, people I, I, that, listening. that one, yeah, like um. the, the, the reality, <laughs> but you know, the type like and, and we I've said it, we've said it to ourselves a million times on this podcast over the years, like there's no way we're not on a list. There's no way we're not these amazing revolutionaries like we're not like and I the thing that was the coldest water in my face was producing the Leaders and Legends podcast over the last two or three years going and sitting down with the wealthiest, most powerful people in politics and every other sector of Indianapolis. None of them know who I was. And I am probably, with the exception of maybe Brad Klopfenstein and Mark Rutherford, the most prominent Indiana libertarian because of being in the media for 20 years, working in politics, being the head of the Libertarian Party of Indiana. None of those people knew who I was. We had no impact on, on Indiana politics. And it was and it was a hard pill to swallow that you didn't really make a lot of impact. But what I did get out of the Libertarian Party was lifelong friendships, a sense of belonging, um, you know, a path where I'm at now with We Are Libertarians, uh, a ton of knowledge about how my government works and how you you can influence around the edges. You can influence candidates and what they the people who get elected do you can you know like rush county libertarian party shows up to this county council meeting with a video camera puts it on youtube and a hundred million dollar project gets canceled so you can have an effect but on the overall system it's it's a pretty anemic effect if you're in the libertarian party now should you run in the republican party it's going to be the same thing look at justin amash there was a sense of I, I, my, my and Justin Amash more, saying to me, like, it's it's harder in the Republican Party. So I mean, I would argue that, like, you know, I'm like I'm like I'm targeting the LP. But I mean, I'm really talking about just the sense of playing for rules that you are bound by that other people aren't. Right. Yeah. And it's it's one of those things where it's like I, I remember a good friend of mine um, called me about a year and a half ago. It was like right before COVID started. And he was like, you know, I just got out of the military. I'm involved in my local GOP. I'm really wondering because you and I are more alike than anything else. He's never really called himself a libertarian, but he basically is. He was like, should I, should I run as a Republican where I'm going to have to compromise or where I'm going to have to play more of a party guy, or do I run as a libertarian or an independent or be what I really like? And I asked him, what is it you really, you really want to get out of running? And he told me, well, I want my community to be better. And I'm like, why do you think politics is the way to achieve that? Because at this point, I had already had kind of had that mental shift. And I basically told him, listen, like, if, if you really want to do this to win, run as a Republican. If you really want to do this to be an education campaign, run as an independent or a libertarian. But then I was like, how about you just hunker down? 
work with your wife on your finances, get involved, try and like really become as independent from outside sources as possible and be that trusted figure in your own community that people go to because they want to and not because you're the person telling them that you have the answers to stuff. Be a philanthropist, be a business owner. And that, you know, after that, like he started a business and now he's starting to build that local name recognition and people are coming to him because they see this guy has his act together and he's a good force of good for the community. Yeah, through 2020, I hosted a nonprofit-focused radio show here in Indianapolis, and those people are starved for volunteers, money, people talking about them. You know, I mean, the the reality is that I've kind of ended up, you know, on on the side of build your own institution. If you're going to put energy into something, build up a nonprofit that exists, start a nonprofit, start a media company. Start a, a business that solves a problem for your community. Be an you know uh, an entrepreneur. What's the social entrepreneur? Um, because politics in this day and age is not community focused. That's bullshit. It is about building the reputation and email list of the person running. It is about Jim Banks, who is Jim Banks, is this congressman here in Indiana from the third district that I used to really love and respect. You know, when I was head of the LPIN, he would meet with us. He would hear our concerns, spent two hours with him in the Antelope Club hearing our why why do we disagree with him on gay marriage, for instance. Uh, Well known as a state senator, as a guy that just was very fair and open and balanced. Well, somewhere along 2020, Jim Banks decided he wanted to run for governor and completely changed his personality. He's on Fox News every night. He's head of the Republican Study Committee. And it's just, you know hot hot takes down the middle trying to get the fox news viewer to give him money and so here's a guy who sold out who who i i imagine deep down is still the same jim banks that i knew and and respected but has decided that he can't be that guy to be successful he's got to be uh, a a tucker carlson clone to build his email list and if his campaigns in the future don't work out, then at least he's got a, a spot on the Sunday shows and a big Fox News contract coming. Um, that's what politics is now. Politics is a predatory business. And maybe it's always been that way and we're foolish. Um, but it is a predatory it's a predatory kleptocracy that wants to build up the person's individual political power. And if you are volunteering for a Republican or Democratic campaign, you are participating in that system that, whether known or unknown, is abusive and harmful, especially to poor people. If you are a poor person in this country, I don't know how you make it. Um, it, You know, trying to look for a place, taking two months to find a house was unbelievably eye-opening. You know, the the housing crisis has started to reach into the middle class. Uh, And, you know, my apartment complex that I've lived in was a great place to live. But, you know, I'm starting to see a lot of the people being pushed out of gentrified areas in my apartment complex. And so I have a friend that works in the office. I'm like, why? Well, you have to now have three times earnings to get an apartment there. And everybody kind of knows that this apartment complex doesn't really check your Photoshop documents and all the other places in town do. And so you, you literally have to commit fraud to get an apartment. If you're in your early twenties now, Um, if you're getting out of college, you, you have to have two years experience plus a bachelor's degree. You know, the, these things have changed wildly in the last five years. Well, none of that is because of um, anything other than, politicians passing bureaucratic laws to run on re-election to gain power for themselves. You know, we're, we're building this house of cards to promote politicians. And I don't know why you'd want to participate in it when you should really put that energy into promoting your interests in what you said, get yourself financially stable, build another stream of income or three, um, work with a nonprofit that that solves a problem that you deeply care about. Uh, you know, there there's no point in going and participating in the, you know, and I know that you think that the one that you like is a good guy. I know that you think that Rand Paul really has your interest at heart, but you're being fooled. You're, you're a fool. 
Oh, I've got a story for you. Um, you know, I, I used to really, really freaking love Ted Cruz. Yeah, I I voted for Ted Cruz in 2016. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you. I, I could not. I I had to unfollow Ted Cruz on all social media, and I did that with a few other politicians. I still I like. I still like them. It, it them them was not the problem. What I saw was the problem is me. In 2016, 2016 Remzo was so wrapped up in this idea that Ted Cruz was like this political and cultural messiah that if I just did everything in my power to try and get him the nomination and then try and make that man president, all my wildest dreams could come true. <laughs> and that turned out to just be the biggest drain in my entire life because like everything else, his life moved on win or lose. His life is right. objectively better. My life, on the other hand, was shit. And it got to that point where I realized that I found my identity through a person or through an organization. And that's where I, I really I, I really stay off of Twitter arguments now, especially with you know the fact that majority of the people that I interact with are are libertarian or in somewhere in that spectrum. And like they they really hate and I'll bring Jason Stapleton, for example. He he got so much hate when he rebranded his show. And he still gets a lot of hate now because he's really been like on one side of this argument of party versus person. We'll call it that. And you've got all these people and these libertarians. So it's weird is that they're almost talking like communists in a way. It's all about the greater community, the greater collective. Stop thinking about yourself. Just focus on this. And what they find is that they they hate other people who have achieved something that is is really hard whereas yeah. when a person fails doing something for themselves they fail when a person working through an institution fails they don't even get that failure they just right. push it off on somebody else so these people have found their identities through politicians or in this case or through a party and that pushes away the responsibility the good or the bad because then what they get to do is they can still take it they can still take victories over other people's achievements wow look at what dave smith did wow look at what joe jorgensen did and they they get to see that as a personal victory when nothing in their life has changed as a result of that it's like being a sports fan like you are literally putting on a jersey cosplaying a victory by your team cheering on the achievements of other men and contributed nothing to that process. You know, the reality is that a lot of the people getting involved in politics right now kind of became politically awake in the last few years and they have no experience and they don't know what they're, what, what is ahead. I know what's ahead. They don't listen to me because I, I, I mean, I was, I retired from the libertarian party essentially in 2012, you know, a long time before a lot of these people, um, were politically active. And I, I, I don't mean to, I do mean to shit on the Libertarian Party a little bit, and it's not do their it. fault. Do um, it. It's, it's like this in every party. Uh, politics is a great thing to get into for networking and to be a part of a community. But if you believe that getting involved is going to actually change anything, on a, on a systemic wide scale, I, I just don't see it happening. Um, you're going to make a lot of great friends and you're going to make a lot of great connections. And that's why you should get involved. But don't be naive in that your world is going to markedly or even mildly improve beyond that because of your political involvement. Ex and if you take the Jason Stapleton route and you build a business that employs people and gives you so much income at the end of the year that you can donate to churches and charities and schools and issues that you care about, not only is your world improved, but the people around you. So I just don't think it's even a contest. It's, it's people who have no political experience saying to me, who has political experience, we can, it's going to be different this time. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll, I'll be waiting here for you with, uh, with an ice pack when, when you realize that I'm right and you're not, I mean, it, it's just, you really have to focus on what is most important for you and your self-interests. Yeah, um, and I, I and tell by this, doing that, yeah. you're going to improve things in a lot of ways. So, so I, I agree with Jason on this. Um, it took me a long time to accept that. And I don't like it because I'd love to sit here and say like, 
all that money you're donating to candidates and all the money you're all the time you're donating to a party or a county party is worth it. Um, but you gotta, you gotta understand what, what, what value, you know, look at the good, look at the value, right? Like if you want more friends and you want to be involved in your community and make good networking connections, there's no better place than politics, but go into it for that. Like, yeah, but I, I mean, let your the, heart get broken. Yeah. I mean the, the intention, and I think this is what you're really trying to summarize. Like the intention is what's the important thing, because I mean, for me, the problem that I found is that my expectations were too high. So yeah. that way, no matter, even when I won, I was still losing something in the process because I wasn't getting the results I wanted. Um, like, you know, my, my good friend, Tom Garrett, for example, who was, the, um, I think, yeah, he was the first person I ever worked for who won a race. He went to Congress. Tom Garrett, one of the most libertarian Republicans ever, served two terms. He'll, he said it himself enough times um, compared to when he was in the state Senate in Virginia, he got nothing done. It was the most mm. unproductive two years, worst two years of his life. And now he's off you know, being a voice for refugees and for people who have had their lives ruined because of sectarian violence and religious persecution throughout the Middle East and North Africa. And he's like, this is my purpose. And it came to one of those situations where it's just like, you know, where, where, where you're setting your intention is where you're going to get the results. And, and I mean, I, I get this with, you know, a lot of what I talk about on here is like, how can you find easy ways to expand your, your income pool through side hustles, through creating stuff, through trying to find different ways. And what I get a lot of is, well, I just don't have time to do that. And it's like, that's, that's a lie. That, that, that is actually a lie. You, you actually do have the time to do it because you and Bill Gates both have the same thing. You both have 24 hours in a day. And, you know, if anyone ever told you it's, it was going to be easy and you were just going to make six figures in a year, that's just not true. It, it's just not true. It's hard work because if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. But it, it's one of those situations where it's like um, they, they would rather be how do I phrase this? They would rather be right and stay a victim than put in the work and fail because it's like this inside voice saying, well, if you fail, other people will go ahead and, you know, attack you for this, use you as a point of saying it could never be done. I mean, a lot of people are their own worst enemies in that. And one thing I've been talking about a lot is this idea of the hero's journey. The difference between the hero and the person who stays back is leaving that sense of familiarity. And I will definitely say for me, like when I really left politics, it was around the time I, I went to work at the Washington Times. I'd cut off all like political ties and everything like that for the most part. It was scary because I lost my community. I lost a lot of my friends, yeah. uh, all, all that sense of stuff. I was in media. It was brand new. It was completely brand new because, yeah, we were a conservative leaning paper, but like it was a business like they don't care about who wins the election. They care about whether or not they get enough people to buy into the classified section to make yeah. our overhead. So it was one of those situations where it's like, you know, and, and I, I think people, they think you only have to do this once in your life. It's a continual thing. The difference between the hero and where they are in the place of familiarity versus when they go to confront the antagonist or their challenge is those that leave the familiar. And I've met far too many people who had nothing, who left that sense of security and familiarity, who went on that journey, who succeeded and who failed. Because no one ever really disrespects the person who left and tried and put their heart into it and failed, not because of something they did, but because that's just how the dice was cast, versus the people that just talk shit and never left the Shire. Yeah. They're the useless hobbits. <laughs> yeah, I, I like if the uh, back to the central question, politics is predatory. Po political involvement in every aspect of our life sucks. Why would we continue to support people that are like furthering that? And the Republican Party is completely useless because they have given up on trying to limit government and and reduce the size and scope of it. And now we're focused on wrestling for the gun so they can shoot the other guy. You know, so I don't want to participate in that. Um, and so what's left, it, 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 it's the social sphere. It's not the political sphere. It's the economic sphere. It's, you know, things like Bitcoin. And I guess we should argue whether or not you should be involved at all. Um, like you take Bitcoin, that is a revolutionary technology that can liberate entire communities, entire countries. But if you're not politically involved and can't fight off the coming regulation, 
um, Preet Bahara or whatever his name is, had had the SEC guy on to talk about how they're going to regulate Bitcoin um, because he, you know, Preet was very concerned about this dangerous technology. Um, and you've got to have mechanisms to fight that stuff. You, you know, with the lockdowns, you've got to have a Ron DeSantis being the a-hole to fight that stuff. Um, but it takes a special type of asshole to be that guy. <laughs> you know, are you the listener of that guy? Uh, maybe some of you are. I, 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 I'm not. So I'm going to put my time and energy into building up. I, I mean, I guess I don't. I, I, I'm, I'm coming here, Rimzo agreeing kind of with you on this but i don't know where to take it right like so because for yeah, 20 years for 20 years my answer was the political sphere is necessary we need to be engaged in this and after things have shifted so far in the last five years um be it i've shifted or politics has shifted or both I don't know where to go exactly next. You know, you tell me. So, so it's um, funny. It's funny you bring up Bitcoin because this is really the only tangible example for a lot of my clients. And I, to to be completely, you know, open on this one, I accept Bitcoin from some of my clients. Um, I won't go into further that, but what I do say is that I do accept Bitcoin as a form of payment. I, I accept all types of crypto, except Doge as a form of payment. That's a personal thing. But um, you know, my thing is like I, I am open to doing that. When I've had other people ask me, you know, like how do you do it? Why do you do it this way? You know, I, I go into it. But the biggest thing is like um, if you're gonna take, if you're gonna accept Bitcoin or any other type of crypto, like pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. And some libertarians hear that and they're like, fuck no. Like, why would I do that? I'm like, don't put don't put that big of a target over your head, because right. if you're going to start accepting large amounts of payment in crypto, you can't hide. So pay your taxes. And, and you know, the other thing is like in the past six months, um, especially as they've been you know, ramping up for the infrastructure bill and everything, uh, Washington has reported a record number of lobbyists um, representing small and large crypto firms. The number one being Coinbase. Coinbase, whether people like it or not, is really the number one exchange in the world. And I'm saying this as a as a as a Coinbase shareholder. I own stock in the company, and the reason why is because they understand that they can't exist in a world without regulation. So they can either be there at the table or not, and just completely get drowned out. And, you know, when I saw what was going on and because I believe in this technology and why I believe that Bitcoin and other cryptos are currencies, not securities, I bought in and I broke one of my rules. I bought into a non-dividend paying company. Why? Because I own enough that I can vote when they go ahead and make mass shareholder decisions. I have a say in it. But, you know, I'm not I'm not I own like hundreds of thousands of dollars in Coinbase stock. But it's like even because I do to a degree, I invested in it because I believe in the company and I believe that it is actually charging ahead in this field. It gave me an opportunity where it's like I could take X amount of dollars and I can put it here and I can keep it there and I'm not going to need that money. I'm not going to need it to pay bills. I'm not going to need it for groceries. I could just put it there and not even have it, you know, earn me dividends. And it will probably go down in value. But now I'm an equity holder. And that was something I would never be able to do. And that's just one small area. But it's like, you know, I, I've got a friend who's a city council member. Uh, he won in a seat where I had managed campaigns for different candidates for multiple cycles and nobody ever won it. And he finally did. And he stood up against mask mandates and, and vaccine passports and higher taxes and higher water bills and all these things that were just crushing people. And he was like, you know, I've got people, I need money. So here I was, I was like, you know what, dude, I'm going to write you a check right now. I'm going to write you a check so big, people are going to see my name on your disclosure. And it was one of those moments where it's like, here I am, I've been able to achieve this. And now I'm actually shaping the world I want outside of government and still shaping it through cooperation. Yeah. You've worked in politics before. Who's in charge? Donors. <laughs> the people writing the check. Certainly not the candidate. <laughs> the most powerful person on any campaign staff is the, the fundraiser. Uh, because what they say the fund rate, the donors want is what ends up happening. 
not the media guy, not the grass the grassroots director, the guy that organizes the volunteers or gal is the least power. Like you know, uh, unless it's like some freak campaign like Barack Obama in two thousand and eight, and they have millions of people volunteering. Um, Every one of their grandma was on Obama two thousand eight. <laughs> yeah, I, I was arguing with a guy last night. Um, who my, my new brother-in-law, who is a little more along the monarchist libertarian line than I am. I'm a classical liberal. There are dozens of them, literally dozens of them. Liberal democratic capitalism has freed a lot of people from poverty and is the best road uh, to, to freedom. But I do buy the argument that most people are too stupid to – well, he was saying basically like increasing involvement has not led to better outcomes – and I agree, um, but I also see the people in Rush County kind of getting involved in their local community. You're never going to get back to localism uh, unless people do show up to county council meetings. Like what I what I would like to see is less running for office, more going to city council meetings, less going to party meetings, more going to county council meetings, because that's going to give you more influence over decision makers if you don't have deep pockets. Uh, I've seen it time and time again when people go and show up uh, at those city council meetings they and, and build a relationship with their local representative, they can have influence. Just that most people don't do it. And so therefore, the people who make decisions listen to their donors because they're the only group of people actually influencing it. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it time and time again when when a local population gets pissed off and decides to get involved, the thing that was inevitable no longer happens. Um, but nobody really wants to be consistent. So I don't know how we build an anarchist society when nobody wants to show up and, and work in government. Like, And that's what I always say to the guy who's like ready to throw on, you know, his machine gun onto his Jeep and invade the Capitol. I'm like, name your congressman. You don't, you have representative government that you don't exercise. Like actually get involved that way as, as opposed to running for office. So I guess if political involvement is the path to change, that's how I would say it works. Um, you know, we, I had a guy, I've said this forever. Uh, we are libertarians patron, uh, they were, he had just bought chickens, his town outlawed chickens. He went and got lunch with the guy. How do you outlaw chickens? Uh, they were trying to get rid of the backyard chicken movement in Texas. There was a backyard chicken movement? In Texas of all places. And so he took the guy out to lunch and the guy went back, amended his proposal to like four chickens or something <laughs> because Jason took the time to just go and sit down and have lunch with him. You know, so that's where you can make changes if you actually like, are respectful and nice and have a conversation. The you're all demon worshipers and eating babies and you're, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work, but um, you, you will have influence and power if you have money and if you show up to the right places, but a libertarian party meeting, a Southside democratic club meeting, these are not places where you're really going to like influence a lot of people in, in terms of decision makers. I had people, who knew I voted for Trump, who flew across the country to D.C. on January 6th. And they were all like, bro, why aren't you here? Come here. <laughs> we can grab lunch afterwards. Come on, man. You're right there. I flew from California to be here. And uh, I, I straight up said no, because it's a waste of my fucking time. And I, I worked because I was unemployed at the time, too. And I had some right. clients. So I'm like, I'm, I'm going to work because it's done. Whether you like it or not, it's done. And it's not going to you, – you showing up there if all your other people you, – you, you, you complain about so many things. But the things you can take active control in, by you taking time and money and resources to be there, you're actively saying those things aren't important to you. You say they're right. important to you, but they're not important to you. And, you know, out of respect for this gentleman, I won't say his name, but we had a member of the We Are Libertarians Network who was a very vocal Joe Biden supporter. And I just, you know, like me and him butted heads, but I uh, right before the election, I actually put out an election episode and I think it was called something like who I'm voting for and why it doesn't matter. 
And what I talked about in that episode, which people can go back and listen to, is that irregardless as to who wins or loses the presidential election or who keeps a majority or whatever in the Senate and the House, my game plan for myself does not change. And while it might be a minor inconvenience one way or another, it doesn't affect me because I've prioritized certain things in my life that maximize my own freedom and my own access to opportunities. And he got really pissy and he was like, well, you're just saying that because you know how it's going to go down. So then the election happens and months later, because we went months without president, um, you know, (laughs) he this person who was so pro Biden just got so betrayed when Biden did other things and got felt so lost and was just mad and just completely like, you know, um, you know, just, just rage quit so many things. And, you know, there's a person who on election night was like decency one, like the, the good guys won. And he's calling all these other people losers. And I just kind of stayed out of it. And, you know, for the most part, 2021, despite a lot of shit has been a good year for me. And I don't care as much about those things because they haven't immediately impacted my plan for myself. And I can go back and listen to that episode and I wouldn't change a single thing about what I said because it was consistent with what was the priority. How am I maximizing my freedom and how may, how am I making my life better for me and those immediately around me? Because I can't change somebody in another state. I can't change somebody in another country, but I can immediately make good beneficial actions in my life and those around me. And that's where I can measure the change. Well, my, my uh, disagreement with a lot of libertarians, including sometimes you, is that, oh, Trump's harmless. Trump's the same predatory swamp monster as everybody else, and we should oppose him. I am concerned. But he was, but I, he was my swamp all. monster, Chris. He was mine. Right. <laughs> I, I hate all presidents, but you can't have that position and be fooled and think that Joe Biden was going to come in and save you from anything. Uh, you know, he's he was always going to come in and completely. I mean, uh, you know why I say that George it, Bush, in my opinion, was the worst president? Was a well, actually, let me say this. Do you know why I say George Bush was a worse president than Barack Obama and why that pisses off my family? Because he was. Because he was. (laughs) Because he was. And really, Obama didn't do anything George Bush either wasn't actively doing or was on the course to continue doing had the Democrats not taken control of the House in 2005. Like, he, he was just the same. So when I see all the fiscal conservatives come out now arguing about inflation and the debt, you know, it would be a lie if I said, motherfuckers, you people voted for it three times last year. Yeah, yeah, I I really like had forgotten so much of George Bush until I went and like was researching the 9-11 episode. And I don't know how Dick Cheney isn't in jail. Um, I still maintain that I think Donald Trump was more destructive to politics, but Donald Trump's politics is kind of just a continuation of George Bush's politics Um, in terms of just destroying the country. You can't you cannot look at those wars, especially Iraq, and not see everything that came after that documentary um, on PBS. that basically was like 9-11 to January 6th um, and was the after effects of the Bush presidency and the, the wars was, uh, it was so great, you know, and it just basically showed how Ken Burns documentary it was. And it was a frontline PBS documentary. It was really good. I wish I, the, uh, you know, I forget what the war on terror era or something um, was so good because it just shows you how, the seeds were planted in that era for so much of the problems that we face now from George Bush's housing initiatives to 2008, to the housing crisis we're undergoing now to the fake news fallout. Like it just, it was so good. I, so I'm with you, George Bush, uh, top five worst presidents for sure. Yeah. And it just comes down to that situation where it's like, you know, uh, as much as I don't like Biden, the thing is, like, I can't do much in the meantime. And certainly going around talking about the bad things he's doing, one, you can get that from a million other people who are smarter and better and more connected than me. 
So I'm not contributing much to that, but it's like, if you want to learn how to repeat the tools for success that this moron behind the microphone um, did, I can certainly, I'm the moron in this case, I'm the moron. Like if you want to follow this moron's advice for how to be a more comfortable moron, I've got, I've got the stuff that can help you out. And it's one of those situations where it's like, yeah, my life is, is weird because I am freer and happier now in a much less free and unhappy world than the one I grew up in. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I, you've said that a couple of times and I don't know that I totally agree. I was on this call with like 10 other libertarian podcasters and even Pete Quinones was like, well, I guess it, we're more free and that people hate the cops more. Oh, I'm um, not talking about everyone else. I'm just talking me. Like the world uh, is going to shit, but I'm actually okay. <laughs> I know, but I, I think, uh, here's the thing. I, I want to be weirdly optimistic here because I go back and forth. I vacillate because I agree with you in that the world isn't more free, but like if you were a gay person 20 years ago, you are more free uh, today than you were. If you are a dope smoking gun toting gay person, you're definitely more free than you used to be. If you are, um, you know, a, a, a dope smoking gun toting gay person that works on the internet, <laughs> you have a lot more freedom. I mean, so there's, I think there's a, a weird feeling in this country and that you, that we are not more free than we were 20 years ago. Um, and I think that's because regulations are hitting us more directly. The, the, the Barack Obama era added so many regulations that it, uh, you know, that's the, one of the best things Trump did was, was trying to cut as many regulations as possible. Um, although he kind of stopped, uh, but we are more free in a lot of different ways. I, I, I w- I'm only going to disagree like with you because it, it, in 2020, when you had yeah. people literally shutting down businesses and now no, we're there's no doubt about that. It. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think that really like, like, I, not I, like, the I, most- like I want to agree with you, but that was what really kind of showed me. It's like, I'm not very optimistic about you know, this. the levers of control. There are things like, like I said, regulations, you take the smoking ban, for instance, here in Indianapolis, we opposed it as the libertarian party, Marion County. We said you are building mechanisms that will come back to haunt you later. When the pandemic hit, the Marion County smoking ban mechanisms were used to shut down those businesses. And all those Republican city councilors that voted for it, I didn't, but I wanted to text them and go, bitch, I was right. (laughs) Um, You know, so there are things like that that I I think that those mechanisms have built to to encroach and creep in on freedoms. Um, there, There have always been periods like that, and there's always a backlash. And so... I think the thing that I was I was most surprised by and most wrong on in 2020 is that the population would see it, get it, and oppose a lot of this stuff, and they didn't. Um, the, there's no doubt that in like size and scope, in terms of encroachment on personal liberty, there's no bigger encroachment than than the lockdowns. Now, in terms of moral outrage, slavery's winning on that one. Okay, but um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, 2020 was just a stunning, um, you, you know, and it, and it depends like Remzo, you are an idiot because you lived in Virginia. Um, I don't know if, if where Brian is at, but hopefully he's in a moving truck between here and Philadelphia, <laughs> because I've, I've said to, to both of you. The pandemic ended for me in July 2020. You idiots living in blue states, that's your own dumb fault. So, yeah, I mean, the the reality is that the pandemic kind of showed why you need to respect the Constitution and the Republic, because, I mean, we we had a really terrible lockdown uh, compared to uh, to to, I don't know. Um, I mean, it wasn't really terrible compared to to most other red states It was pretty comparable, um, except for South Dakota. But after July 4th, 2020, it was, there was nothing that you were limited by nothing. I mean, I was going to the gym, like, you know, there, there were still like some restaurant capacity things at that point in Indiana, people's behavioral changes affected the economy in that not as many people are going to restaurants and things like that. That was always going to be there, but you idiots in blue States that just, voted in Gavin Newsom. I don't know what's wrong with you people. 
but here's telling me that you were surprised that liberal California acted like liberal California. Right. <laughs> liberal Demo- it's full of Democrats. I think Larry Elder's gonna win. Oh, oh wait, gosh. they're still full of Democrats. Never mind. Yeah, I mean, so no, there's no doubt. I mean, there, but you you kind of if you had a Democratic governor, you got what you voted for. Um and, and you see, like if I hadn't had the skill set I had to to look outside of my state. Like, I, I don't know, like I was working in the warehouse, like right up until I, I took the job and moved here to Wisconsin. Like that's how, that's how scary things got at one point. And, you know, it's one of the situations where it's like, you know, even though I'm in a blue state here in Wisconsin, it's a very bright purple state. And for the most part, like I don't get as mad as a lot of other right-leading people do here because I've seen right. how objectively horrible it could be. So I look around, I'm like, this is fine. And they're like, you think this is fine? I'm like, you don't know what I've been through. But I was, um, in, I was in Atlanta two, two weekends ago and this girl was here from Ottawa, Canada. And she's trying to get her dual citizenship now because she couldn't believe the amount of freedom that people had in Philadelphia. Or, or no, it was, yeah, it was Baltimore and Atlanta. Wow. And I'm sure that if you talk to your average Republican or Libertarian in Baltimore or Atlanta, you're deeply, grossly <laughs> oppressed. But to an Ottawa, Ottawa resident, it was just beautiful freedom. She, you know, they just passed and Trudeau won after, you know, after putting this stuff in place. They just are enforcing new lockdowns in Canada and she's a wedding cake decorator. And so they were forcing all of the wedding parties to uh, submit vaccine cards to the venue to submit to the government to show that all your guests were vaccinated. And she lost four grand in business in a single month because people just canceled their weddings because their grandma's not vaccinated. So they can't have the wedding, you know? So it's all a matter of perspective, I guess. And that's the beauty of the, the 50 States is that you, you Virginia residents can move to Wisconsin and have beautiful freedom. So much beer and cheese curds (laughs) and the brewers go brewers. It's, I mean, it's, it's little things like that where it's like, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm not a millionaire. I don't think I'll ever really be a millionaire anytime soon, but you know, like my whole goal was, and it's so odd with the timing of when on the run started with how the world turned, it's, um, it, it's gotten to the point where it's like, I am, I'm free now because I can go to sleep at night knowing that things can happen and I'll still have money coming in throughout the month that I can still move around freely and that I have access to different things, different networks, different areas where, you know, like shit can go down again and I'm not going to let it affect me the way it did last time. But, but to kind of close things off, because now I think I've reached the point of being the Chad podcaster level. I have to talk about doing jujitsu recently. Um, (laughs) Well, I've, well, I've loved about doing it, so far. And I've been kind of throwing out little antidotes throughout the last couple episodes as I've been trying to just bludgeon people over the head with it is that when I was looking for gyms in the area, and there's a lot of jujitsu gyms in, in, in around Milwaukee, I called a couple of them and I was just like, if, you know, what did you do during the lockdowns? And some of them closed down because their students just disenrolled others adapted. They did zoom jujitsu, which I don't know how the fuck you do that. But like with my school, like <laughs> come here, kitty, it's time to <laughs> <laughs> Let's grab, grab, grab the waifu pillow or something. Um, you know, the, the school I'm going to now, they're basically just like, we didn't lock down. And right now, COVID's a fact of life. And if you're worried about catching COVID here at the gym, uh, jujitsu is probably not for you because worse things can happen. Yeah. And, and like the people that go to this gym have become some of my favorite people to see throughout the week because it's an extremely diverse group of people in thought and in background and in profession and in so many other things. And I don't know where they land on certain issues, but like there, we are all the same. We're all just here to get better. And the people who have come into the gym are a lot like myself. They needed a community. They wanted to better themselves. One of the things I struggled with for a while, my path to overall freedom has been health freedom. Since I left the military, since I've gained weight, since I've lost all this other stuff, I lost that edge part of me where it's like, I'm a dangerous person. And I got to the point where it's like, I'm actually not anymore. You're dangerous to a box of Twinkies. I'm dangerous to a lot of things, the Twinkies included. But like, you know, (laughs) it, it got to the point where it's like, now I'm getting that sense of confidence confidence back. And in that confidence is freedom. 
where it's like, I know that if shit goes down, like I've, I do enough crazy shit during the week, I should be good against an untrained person, an untrained unarmed person. But it's one of those situations where it's like, it's not just me in that case, it's everyone else I am training with. And we are all the same under jujitsu in this most part. And it's just been an amazing thing because some people are just there because they want to fight other dudes. Some people are just there because they just wanted to stay in shape. But a lot of other people were there because they're like, you know, this is the most consistent thing in my life right now. And I feel like an amazing person each time I leave. Yeah. And it's like, that is freedom. That is confidence and the ability to do that. It's like, you're taking time out of your day where you could be doing so many, so many other things. You see the results every class, every time you step on the scale. Like if you're talking about the essential pieces of a person, it's your mental well-being. get to therapy, four years of therapy. I mean, go look at my fiance. You, it's impossible for old me to have, uh, to have human trafficking. Other than that. Uh, maintained a relationship with a person as stable, normal, and as beautiful as Reagan. Um, you know, there's the the physical realm. You've got to take care of yourself. Uh, the the spiritual realm. You know, whatever whatever your spiritual side is, I encourage you. I'm a Christian. Um, I, I, I call I, it I feel sense like, of purpose. I feel like a shittier person. Um, the, your financial side. There's a uh, you know. When you list off the essential fundamental pieces of what a person is, the political side isn't there. <laughs> you don't need a political side to be a happy, healthy, functioning person. And if you are, uh, if that is one of your things, you're probably not functioning well. It's why I was broke 330 pounds getting divorced because I was a workaholic working for a political party uh, because it, it, it was, I was not spiritually in in the right place that i needed to be like politics is not an essential function of being a a happy healthy person but i think we're going to expand liberty when we do find those pieces and start working to uh, engage the world in ways that improve other people's spiritual well-being financial well-being um you know physical well-being and helping build other up other people you're engaging in politics, you're basically trying to fight people and take something from somebody else to give it to your team. And that's not how a functioning society works. So question answered, we win. Yeah, every day. And I'm happier. I mean, that's the one metric nobody can measure but you. Yep. And, uh, you know, that's one of those things where it's like through through many years, I had to really understand like happiness is not a natural state of a person. It's a it's a it's a very intentional choice. It's how you achieve that. That that's the most important thing. Chris, thank you for showing a proof of life on the keyboard. <laughs> we all appreciate it. Uh, how can people go ahead and listen to the Chris Spangle show? Because you obviously can, we've got one or two that don't. Yes, uh, listen on any podcast platform. The Chris Spangle show. Check out all my different projects at chris-spangle.com. Awesome, folks. As always, it costs you nothing, but it means everything to me. A five-star rating and review on any platform, Apple, if you're really awesome. Across Al Gore's amazing internet, we'll go ahead and let people know about the fantastic topics and conversations we're having here every Monday and Thursday. As always, be safe, be good. Good night.